Back to the Outback Cast. I am Steve <laughs> Cuff, and joining me as always, some people call him Jack Eason, but some people call him Jack the Ripper. That's my monster dog reference. What do you think, buddy? It's pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be really good well because nobody's seen this fucking movie, so they're going to not understand the reference. <laughs> yeah. Also, right. presumably, no one has it's ever heard of that fucking Alice Cooper album. <laughs> no, no, I don't think they have at all. Uh, it's it's actually kind of hard to find, believe it or not, if you're looking for the legitimate album cut. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you more about that when we when we get into the movie Monster Dog. Uh, Jake is here. Jake, how are you doing? Great, awesome, love that. Jake, are you there? <laughs> oh shit! I was <laughs> muted and I was making a joke. I am here. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, I think your I think your going jokes great. going well. I just want to say, you know, recording this on a Memorial Day weekend uh, sure is a long weekend, right? Hey, yeah, Jake, I think your your jokes hit a little harder when you're muted. Something about it, man. <laughs> I know the silence was deafening. <laughs> and uh, Adam Myros is here. Myros, how you doing? Uh, I, I, you know, surviving. Yeah, spending time with family, a lot of socializing. Yeah. How great you know, has this been for you? It's all I do. I'm a social butterfly. Has your life significantly changed in like any meaningful way since quarantine started? Well, I mean, I used to have like, as someone who's kind of a hermit, you know, one one requires like a, a reason to leave the house, and when one is stripped of that reason, then one just never fucking leaves the house. So, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. Yeah, I, I figured this really wouldn't impact you too much. A lot of people have been like, oh, I've put on so much weight since this started. and uh, I can't believe it. And it's like, nah, I've always eaten like shit. I've never exercised and I hate leaving the house. So what's different? Nothing. This is this is how I, I live my life. It's a, it's a golden age. Really, man. Like all these people are freaking out. And I'm like, nah, I, I've been training for this for at least 20 years of my life. So this is this is everything to me. Fucking bored yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose I could say that it has it has changed my day to day, but not like mentally. I mean, to me, this is just fine. I'm like, wow, I don't have to go to work. Fucking great. Yeah. A plus. <laughs> A plus, baby. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, you know, as COVID nineteen continues to throw the world into chaos, nature has continued to heal. Stunning views are unfurling before our eyes as global emissions decline and animals are returning to urban areas as they stake out new territories. But what does this really mean for mankind? Uh, Nothing much, probably, uh, because we're going to fuck it all up again. But uh, perhaps there are some films that can shed light on our future. And wouldn't you know it, we happen to watch a bunch of them. And I guess we're going to talk about it because that's what these whole podcast things are about, right? So, boys... uh, we watched a little movie called Monster Dog, because in my mind, I think, you know, no one's, the, the dog catchers are all staying home. All these dogs are fucking. We're going to have dogs everywhere. That makes sense to me in my brain. And what if these dogs decide to go crazy and start ripping out people's jugulars as they're known to do? And if you are a little movie from the 1980s uh, from the director of Troll 2, 
and uh, you know you're, you got Alice Cooper, your starring role. Perhaps you have foretold this future that that we're going to experience, because this is a movie about a town that is inexplicably overrun by uh, titular monster dogs and one really big monster dog. And I mean, has Alice Cooper ever been better? I mean, he has, he has dialogue, and he's dubbed, <laughs> but he has dialogue. Uh, this is this is a bizarre film in that they hired Alice Cooper. I don't... How did the director of Troll 2 get Alice Cooper first? That's uh, baffling. But but they get him, and then they dub mm-hmm. him, so it's not even Alice Cooper talking when he speaks. And then for most of the film, he's just kind of wearing sweaters and just hanging around with people eating sandwiches. Well, That's Jack, mostly I'm glad the movie. you asked the question, how the fuck... Did they get Alice Cooper for this movie? And the answer is Alice Cooper had a little bit of a problem with drugs and alcohol. And oh, yeah, wouldn't you know? And he finally got clean. God bless him. But as soon as he got clean, his record label dropped him. So he was just kind of looking for shit to do. And he got asked to star in this low budget movie. And he decided, okay, I'm going to do this. But the reason he chose to do it is because he was promised that when he signed on to make this movie, uh, one, it wouldn't matter if he sucked at acting because they were going to overdub everything that he did, which they do. And it's fucking weird. And two, they promised him that it would only be released in the Philippines. And wouldn't you know, (laughs) that was not the case. Uh, (laughs) Oh, man. what kind of a reward is it for kicking drugs to show up in Monster Dog? I, That's a cruel twist. I have absolutely twist. no idea. And you think he would have reconsidered what he was doing because uh, Claudio Fergasso, who, again, he made Rats and he made Troll 2. Uh, he's kind of known for making what I would describe as nihilistic trash. Uh, he doesn't give a fuck about anything. He's just <laughs> like, we're just going to get something half resembling a beginning, a middle, and an end. We're going to slap it together. We got ourselves a movie. Let's fucking sell this thing. Uh, But Claudio Fergasso, about two weeks before they started shooting the movie, he reached out to Alice Cooper and asked him to record two songs for the movie. (laughs) So, uh, and not only are they used in the movie, but the kind of fake music video shoots that they use to bookend the film in a way they take up a good chunk of time. We're talking, I mean, this is like an 80 minute long movie and 15 to 20 minutes of it is Alice Cooper music video. <laughs> so. It is. It does conclude with a beautiful musical montage. This this is funny to me because, I mean, the premise of the movie effectively, aside from the monster dog particularly, is that Alice Cooper plays the biggest rock and roll star in the world. Um who I can't remember his name. He's not his Alice name's Cooper. Like Vincent Raven, but he man. is driving back to his <laughs> Yeah, but he's driving back to his hometown to shoot a music video with and and like it's just, it's just him in a van with like uh, two women and two guys who are all basically one of the women is an actress and the other the rest of them are technical people to record this music video. They're they're like he's the biggest rock star in the world and he's going to shoot a new music video with a crew of four <laughs> people in his hometown and also his hometown he like he's he's going back to like a curse because it turns out his father was brutally (laughs) murdered there and everyone hates him and he's and this isn't brought up initially the setup for this film is incredible it's totally insane and you know you could pick apart plot points in any movie but 
with this, you have to understand that you cannot think about a single thing that's happening in this movie for more than 2.5 seconds because nothing makes sense and it all just builds into more nonsense that makes everything more confusing. So he's going back to his hometown and this was asked of him by the record label for some reason and he did not appear to be interested in pushing back despite the fact that however many decades ago the town rose up and brutally murdered his father because they thought yeah. he was a dog monster. <laughs> and so they, they roll into town, and the first thing that happens is they hit a roadblock, and the sheriff and the sheriff's deputy are there, and they're like, well, uh, you kids better be careful out there. By kids, I mean Alice Cooper's like 45 or some shit, and the other people are like 20. <laughs> Y'all better be careful. We got we got the dog problem again. You remember the dog problem, don't you? You were little Jimmy's kid. Remember when we all murdered your dad? <laughs> and then Alice Cooper's response is, "Oh, I remember you, Sh uh, Sheriff Fat Tits. Uh, I used to piss all over your leg when I was a kid." He goes, <laughs> "Yeah, you were like the Hoover Dam blew open and just let a big old yellow stream run down my leg." I really want to impress that for anyone who thinks Steve's employing hyperbole for comic effect here, he's, he's actually really turning it down not. quite a bit for the sake of the listeners. <laughs> yeah, you, you guys are getting like so, the, the fucking, the, the, just the, the quaaluded like the chill version of what is actually happening. So I was, I, I was trying to make sense of this line and, and it's like translation issues, but maybe it's just as simple as uh, Alice Cooper was so terrified by the sheriff murdering his father that he pissed <laughs> his leg. It's I don't just, know. That could possibly But the implication yeah. is he doesn't piss on the sheriff one time. He says that like he repeatedly, like multiple times, sat on the sheriff and pissed just on him. Just a really leaky which kid. Is, He's a leaky kid, but if you're the sheriff, why are you letting this kid sit on you? Is the sheriff a, a piss pig? Is that is that what <laughs> we are? It's the to least you could do when you murdered a kid's fucking father and uh, gave him this trauma for life. I, I don't I don't know if it's the least he could do. I I think he's getting sexual gratification out of it. Maybe there's, he was just, the town Santa there's, there's Claus. There's a lot of levels here. I think we're we're uncovering a rich vein. <laughs> yeah. And um, he talking about how? No, he looks mm -hmm. like. He looks like Paul Prudhomme, the guy that's on the fucking, like, the spaghetti sauce the spice? Thing. Yeah, the spice. This like the Italian spice. He, he's like piss pig Santa Paul Prudhomme. Uh, no, to talk, talk about how, like, the, insane this film is or how, how we, difficult to follow this film is, which, and I, I'm going to just throw out here, this is actually, frankly, one of the best films we're going to discuss in this episode, so strap yourself in. But, um... When I first watched this, I didn't, for whatever reason, I watched it just like the d digital file on my television and my television uh, screwed up decoding it, I guess. So it actually skipped here and there, but I didn't know it was skipping. Uh, it seemed like it was playing fine and it just <laughs> skipped right. It, it launched into like this gory dream sequence, but then it skipped over the part that showed it was a dream sequence. So like I was trying to watch this movie, which doesn't make a lot of sense to begin with. And then next thing, I was just completely lost because everyone was dead. And then they all just came back again. And I was like, well, I guess this is by the guy who made Troll 2. But upon revisiting it later on, I suddenly realized, oh, no, actually, this film makes a little bit more sense. But I am Adam and I were discussing this earlier, and I feel like this film really is kind of like in the Lucio Fulci Like, to me, this reminded me a little bit of, like, City of the Living Dead in that it's just got this strange dreamlike aura to it partially through 
maybe incompetence, but also partially it's just a film that really leans heavily on omens and portents and fog machines. And it kind of it kind of works <laughs> for me on the whole. Like well, it, even when it's you, not you good, it's kind of not good in, an, in, a, in at least a very cinematic way, which I think is a compliment I will level at this one. You would think I, that this movie was just was like leaning on dream logic and, and cinematic weirdness to kind of propel it. However, after this movie finished shooting, uh, Claudio Vergasso sent his final cut in, and then his U.S. distributor lopped off 20 minutes of the movie. They lo- <laughs> And then they're the ones who put the, the music videos at the beginning and the end. So that's why this is fucking insane, because they cut oh, out a bunch so, of shit. Cause, yeah, because they clearly and- stuck the music videos in just to like drag it over feature length for selling. And they, they actually put exactly. the... I, that's yeah. kind of... I feel bad now that Fregazzo wasn't responsible. Like, I assumed he just half-assed it and came up with, like, an 80-minute-long movie or a little less than 80 minutes. And Well, he did. But it was 20 minutes long, <laughs> though. Like, they just changed it. And here's the fucked-up thing. There is, like, a, a low-def uh, cut of this. Like, the actual Fregasso cut exists. It, it was distributed in some Asian markets. The Philippines? the... <laughs> probably yeah the 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 kino blu-ray that exists of this they have 14 minutes of the cut footage but it's not they, they don't have the fragasso cut on their blu-ray version they just have it as an extra they have it as like oh deleted scenes so it's not actually implemented so you could you could do like some some cut and paste like snyder cut bullshit with this fucking movie <laughs> release the fragasso cut Let's get it going, yeah. guys. Yeah, that's the that's the big <laughs> news. Going HBO on Max one, yeah. is is launching with Fergasso cut. <laughs> oh, came I don't this. know if it would make anything better, but it's it's something. I I I don't know. And, and then there's the other part. Maybe you guys could walk me through this. It's entirely possible that I missed something because I don't know what the fuck's going on in this movie. But at first, it's like okay, so. There's all these dogs roaming around, and we're shown this like pack of dogs that's going around killing people. So I thought like the monster dog was gonna be like a, a bunch of fucking dogs that were killing people, but also maybe Alice Cooper is a dog based on what the movie poster looks like. But it turns out there are a, a pack of wild dogs, but also there there is a separate monster dog robot thing, which looks like a fucking melted panther and so resident evil dog people are yeah so Uh, what's the confusion this all sounds right to me so far so wait but why i mean i'll i'll be i'll be honest i don't the the monster dog leads the other dogs is that yeah it's like it's like sort of a dracula situation here the 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 werewolf has power over dogs he controls the dogs but but we don't but i don't like i mean i i understand that i don't understand and i mean it's worth pointing out that uh, the town was absolutely correct to murder alice cooper's father because he was actually a vicious werewolf and alice cooper is too seems that way uh spoiler alert so I think you may have missed something. Alice Cooper is in fact not. Oh, that's right. Burger. Okay, no, uh, no yeah, he's that's human. right. Okay, because this. You see, we got this problems. Is, this here. is my issue. Okay, so at the very end, she shoots one thing, and we're not quite sure what it. Who's transforming then? 
He is because he is he is bitten by the old man who is the oh. actual werewolf, and the okay. old man bites him at the very end of the film, and he is for the very first time transforming into a werewolf. She, okay, and she shoots him, yeah. but okay, not so the monster dog who is also present in that sequence. She well, points the she points a gun okay. off camera. Something happens to that monster dog. I don't think. All right, but wait, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. Okay, <laughs> this is a great movie. Is anyone else concerned? Is anyone else concerned about? the town's response to their dog problem. Like clearly they had a dog problem 20 years ago. It's a small town. And that ended up in like the town, just murdering a guy and they got yes. away with it. Okay, great. Yeah. But now they're just, they're just setting up police checkpoints with fucking officer piss pig Santa. And, and that's, that's all they're doing. They're like, well, you know, uh, we got three or four dead already. So uh, it's probably going to happen to you guys next. Just so you know, uh, <laughs> it is weird. <laughs> That's all you're doing? You're setting up checkpoints? And then, oh, and then five minutes later, you hear uh, barking and howling in the woods, so fucking Piss Pig Santa <laughs> decides to go take a look, and wouldn't you know, he gets fucking killed? It is, it is all... I, this is response he, is unacceptable. Yeah, no, it is strange that, like, the town's problem seems to be literally seven dogs that are causing a problem. But here, <laughs> and here, here's my issue, is that I don't understand with the reveal, and I, I don't mind the reveal. I thought it was kind of actually surprisingly... I was surprisingly invested in the mystery. Uh, but <laughs> what I would say is that the reveal makes little to no sense because if the old man is the actual werewolf all along, I mean, he's been living in the town for 20 years. Why Why all of a sudden is this dog problem cropping back up? Would it, would it have never gone away? Get some hair of the dog. Got relapse. Uh, yeah. So it, it just comes back when Alice Cooper decides to visit the town, even though it's, it's entirely unrelated. <laughs> That's just how these things I'd, I'd forgotten about the old man biting Alice Cooper because my confusion towards the end is that Alice Cooper is transforming, but there's also the monster dog shows up, who's a separate monster dog creature. Wasn't he bit by the monster dog and not the old man? Or are those are those two separate but the entities? Old man is oh. the monster dog, right? But right, both okay. of them are present in the final sequence, and then it's the the woman points the gun, and she and it's the camera angle. It's just she points the gun off camera, but and she shoots. But I did not know which one she shot because I thought there were two enemies present, and that's my confusion. But all of this. See, I'm pretty I wish sure it was, she's putting down Alice Cooper. I wish it was more possible to pay attention to the end of this movie because I'm like 90% <laughs> sure that Alice Cooper kills the old man because he gives some speech about, oh, now my curse is gone and passed to you. And then, you I, know, I think so you're, I don't I think know you're right about that. I mean, I assume with Jake as well, I agree. I My presumption is that she killed alice cooper but there is a degree of ambiguity which i don't think is intended per se which is why i think this very much latches into like the lucio fulci kind of vein of like dreamlike not necessarily because you know it's very carefully composed like david lynch or anything but more because it's sort of like there's just a lot of loose threads and, you know, you kind of go your own way. You're saying a Claudio Fragasso film doesn't make sense. Give me a break. I know. Hard to believe. And I, and I was I enjoyed this movie and I'm, I'm kind of with Adam. Like it's it's a pretty it's not a great movie, but like it's engaging. It's, I mean, I was so impressed when I when I started this off. I assumed the monster dog was just going to be a regular dog. Like that was my expectation of this 
this movie. So I was so <laughs> impressed when an actual monster dog showed up. After that, it was pretty much golden. Like, I couldn't hold a grudge against this movie. It already surpassed my expectations. And then we had multiple monster dogs, and we don't even know how they interact, it turns out. We all saw a different movie. So, Frank, this is a masterpiece. This is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Let the record show I believe there'd only be one monster <laughs> I mean, no, when I say there's multiple, I mean because there's I, Alice I still Cooper. don't understand the monster dog. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Alice Cooper's not a monster dog. I'll Towards the end, he, that straight. until the very he's transforming. Last yeah, the we get a transformation sequence. Right, but he's not he's not attacking anyone no. throughout the movie. But, but we get a transformation. And there's also okay. this pack of regular wild dogs that are under the influence of the monster dog for some reason mm -hmm. and then there's the old man who's been infected <laughs> by the monster dog and is trying to pass when it was on he infected? the monster dog when was he infected but he was infected by Alice uh, Cooper's father like uh, uh, 30 years ago or something. And he just decided to start fucking people up 30 years later? Like I said, like I just know woke that, up that doesn't morning? make any sense to me. That is you a know, In this town, there's a full a moon every 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Spain rolls. I, I do like... I do like the uh, the the regular dog pack. I was like, oh man, these are these are some good working dogs here that Claudio Fragasso paid money for. It's like, no, he just grabbed them for the local pound and then didn't feed them for two days. And whenever he needed them to attack the actors, he just stuffed their shirts full of dog food and <laughs> the dogs attacked. I'd like to, uh, Steve. I'd like to take a moment and read some IMDb trivia, if that's okay. Uh, Absolutely. So. The scene in which the dogs chase the girls up the staircase was intended to be shot in a single take because the dogs had been deprived of food and the actresses were genuinely afraid that they'd become a meal. Halfway through the scene, the on-set still photographer shouted stop because he'd run out of film and needed to reload. This angered director Claudio Fragrasso, so he took one of the loaded shotguns used in the movie and chased the photographer around the set, firing shots into the air as he hurled the obscenities at him. From this point on, the Spanish crew began referring to Fragasso as El Director Loco, which he found very amusing. He found that amusing. <laughs> I yeah. love the way this, like, this is all happening yeah. to make this movie. Like, at least when Stanley Kubrick was acting like a shithead, we got The Shining, you know? <laughs> this is, like, uncalled for. Yeah. And, and, and half the time with the dogs, I mean... Most of the scenes with the dogs are just sitting around. Like, they smear, like, fake blood on their muzzles to make them look vicious, but they are, like, just, they're just docile, just hanging out outside, you know? Probably looking for food, apparently, I guess, but, you know, they don't look very threatening. Yeah. I also briefly want to touch on the house before we abandon this entirely, because it amuses me, again, as we talked about in our... Joe D'Amato episode uh, last year. It is another of these things where... I guess it's not explicitly stated that this takes place in America, but what with the bumbling sheriff and deputy, it very much has the feel of Alice Cooper's going back to his small town roots. And then they show up at his house and it's like, oh, here's the old homestead with its uh, 3,000 square foot great room with a fucking 30 foot ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, this is not it's what America is. manner. I, I will agree with Steve, though, that it, it, there's an eerie similarity between the house in this and the one used in Spookies, although I'm pretty certain they cannot be the same house. But there there is a certain overlap at the front, kind of like big overhanging, yeah. uh, kind of like what you call it, like entryway and stuff. There, there's a few 
things like that, which, you know, it's it's always good when a house in one kind of ropey horror movie reminds you of an entirely different house in an entirely different ropey horror movie. They both shop at Plantations R Us. That's where you get your Plantation house at. That's also that painting is fucking amazing too. Kudos oh, uh, yeah, to the, the set designer bad. for that fucking stupid painting with like hmm. American Gothic with Alice Cooper and a small child and a googly eyed monster dog sitting in the grass. <laughs> Classic. Just so many for- like foreboding no and warnings and omens and people just eating sandwiches as we mentioned for this the sandwiches and this they just the, the caretaker makes a shit ton of sandwiches and just leaves them uncovered in the fridge for the people to pull out later and that's honestly probably the most horrific thing in the film to me like i winced just as ch- this is a big fergasso <laughs> thing because in troll 2 which was also written by fergasso's wife who I, I think she wrote most of his movies but she would always write under a, a different male pseudonym but she she wrote this one and she wrote Troll Two. But there's the famous scene in Troll Two, where they like the the people that are infected with the green troll juice or whatever. They show up outside of the family's house. And they're like, "We got a big bag of double decker bologna sandwiches for you. You better eat them." <laughs> and this is the same thing. It's just an old man. Oh, I've made sandwiches. Uh, here's a whole scene of me making sandwiches and putting them in the fridge. And then the people show up. Oh, look, sandwiches. We love sandwiches. <laughs> it's like Fregasso took his nose. It's like Lucia Fulci had like things like, you know, contact lenses, like blindness and like little, you know, recurring uh, motifs in his films. And he's just like, I'll just do sandwiches. Yeah, I mean, wh- why why not? Use craft services as part of your movie. You I mean, yeah, I mean, and to it, his, so to his credit, I don't think any other director can particularly make that claim. Like he's he's in his own his own space there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, the last thing you could really say about this movie is if you like shit that doesn't make sense and bad Alice Cooper songs and you know piss pig Santa Claus, why not? It's worse you can do. And pretty good, pretty good. I give it a pretty good give it a A plus. Yeah. I also got to say, like, the, the the main song that plays in the beginning with the music video, it's cool because, uh, you know, a lot of these cheapy horror movies, you don't really get to know who these characters are. They're just kind of fodder for, for bloody deaths and, you know, just to move the plot along. But here we get to hear all about exactly who Alice Cooper is. And I think we, we should probably throw the song in at the end of the episode so people could hear it. But it's just like... Him saying, like, sometimes I feel like Sherlock Holmes. Sometimes I feel like Jack the Ripper. Like, it just over and over, we just get to hear all the things that he is, you know? He's a, he's a detective. He's a he's He wears outlaw. many he's different James hats. James Bond. Literally. He's, it's the duality of Alice Cooper. He's, sometimes he's the good guy. Sometimes he's the bad guy. But he's never the monster dog. Until yeah. the very yeah, end. Yeah, he never, he never once says, sometimes yeah. I feel like a monster dog. <laughs> never says that, Sad. not once. But yeah, we'll throw that in at the end for the people. Since, unfortunately, the uh, the soundboard is, is giving me some trouble today, so oh, everybody's going to unsubscribe. People were only subscribing for the soundboard before, but you know, we'll have, we'll have to bring it back at some point. Uh, hey, if you like monster dogs... Perhaps you are also uh, enticed by the prospect of Robert Forster and a giant-ass alligator, which is why we watched Alligator, you know, because uh, people are constantly flushing alligators down the toilet, and you forget that there's probably a chemical company dumping all kinds of nasty shit in there, and what if that turned your baby alligator into a giant murderous alligator? These things happen constantly. 
Uh, this movie is fucking incredible. And if I was 13 years old, this would probably be my favorite movie because unlike many horror films, especially these, you know, creature features, your grizzly, your orca, even Jaws, you don't have to wait too long before the alligator murder starts. This one, it, it's within the first 10 seconds, you get gator carnage. And I respect that. So, gentlemen, how was your experience with Alligator? Uh, very positive for me. Um, I think the, the main takeaway here is that uh, Robert Forster was a great actor and is missed. And I think this is the kind of solid B-movie that is really elevated by uh, a leading man who is certainly not, I don't know if, <sighs> he certainly elevates the material in ways that really helps it. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's great to see what commitment can do to a film like this. And, and uh, for that, I, I give it I good I would certainly marks. hate to see this movie without Robert Forster. <laughs> I don't think that would be a good idea. Um, yeah. When, when, uh, Jack, this movie stands on its own. It's got a big-ass alligator animatronic puppet, and also the director liberally uses star wipes throughout the film, which <laughs> I find very that is, Yeah, that's a choice. There's several choices. Also, this film is maybe set in Chicago, Maybe, but no attempt. Not a part of Chicago. Yeah, I've no ever attempt seen. is made to make it look like Chicago. Like it's clearly shot in L.A. And um, but but they open with the radio talking about riots in Chicago, and then I think they have like Missouri license plates. Like it's just it's all over the place. Um, oh no, the Missouri license plate is because Robert Forrest's character was originally from St. Louis, but then some shit oh. went down because he's a cop that doesn't play by the yeah, rules. Did, and he yeah, but you have to like register your you car like in a, a new state there. in like uh, the first couple of months. I find that that seems like a plot hole to me. I'm going to update IMDb no. immediately. Who's going to... Oh, is somebody going to write Robert Forrester a ticket for having out-of-state plates? I don't fucking think so. <laughs> they Forrester. could. They keep dunking on him he for his a, hair. He wears a gray sweatsuit to work. Gets no respect. He dunks out himself for his bad hair. <laughs> yeah, how many actors do you know call that out about themselves? Yeah. He knows he's got a fucked up Dude hairline. But guess yeah. what? Even though he's got a weird bald spot and he's twice as old as uh, the love interest in this movie, doesn't make a difference. She still wants to bang him. He's Robert Forster. And, so I mean, he makes, fair, yeah. he makes a great pitch for himself too because at one point he's just like, baby... I'm a real piece of shit, asshole, no good, son of a bitch. I'm useless. <laughs> I'm fucking trash. I'm just, I'm fucking garbage. But you know what? You got great tits, so let's let's make this something. Like that's that's what he says. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful film. I'm bad. You have good yeah. boobs. <laughs> let's do yeah, this. Yeah, I, I gotta say this film is. I mean, I don't. I think this film is pretty good in that it really does deliver on just alligator carnage so no faulting it there but it's just maybe just a little bit like compared to monster dog i like i mentioned monster dog is a lot wrong with it but what it's doing is very cinematic like even when it goes wrong it's in a very kind of like overtly visual way and alligator is just like a, a little bit more you know run of the mill for me it's a little bit more Kind of, I, I guess if you if you could say it's like, you know, if Jaws was, because it's clearly a Jaws knockoff. And it's like Jaws was popular and all the kids, you know, imagine if all the kids wanted to dress up in Halloween costumes from the big popular movie. It's, you know, it's like Alligator is like the store-bought costume. You know, it's of a decent quality and it's, you know, standardized and it fits and all the kids have it. Whereas like Monster Dog, if that were like a knockoff, if you describe it, it's like, 
you know, it's like your mom just had to improvise something at the very last minute and just like taped a bunch of shit to you <laughs> and like just did blackface or something accidentally. You are that, under- that would be like <laughs> like much more memorable, a much better story later on. And that's like how I feel like like alligator's not bad, but it's just sort of it's just sort of too regular for me personally. Uh, excuse me. Let me let me stop you right there. Uh, just the wedding scene alone. That is that is a high point. The wedding also baffling. I will take the wedding yeah. scene in Alligator over the wedding scene in The Deer Hunter any day of the week. And so <laughs> many similarities. There there are a few high points in this film. And um, there's also the the hardcore piece where the where the kid pushes his kid brother into the swimming pool to his his death. And they just, and then they just move on. <laughs> like that's a that is a nightmare scenario, and it's a that's probably honestly probably the best thing in the film. And they just drop that in and keep moving. Like that kid is gonna need therapy for the rest of his life. He's like pushing his. He's like they're playing, and he's gonna push the. He's gonna make his kid brother walk the plank, you know, and it's goofing around or whatever. Yeah, but, but there's a giant alligator in there, and neither of them know it. And just as the younger boy is being pushed in, he realizes it and starts screaming, "No, no!" And and his older brother still pushes him in because they're playing, and then just blood everywhere. And like that, I, I gotta hand it. Like that's that's a great scene. See, I, oh, yeah. I I give this movie a lot of credit because, again, I just kind of think about being a kid in the late 80s, early 90s, going to the video store, and, and I was into monster movies. You know, I liked creature features and stuff like that, and nine times out of ten, you, you grab a movie off a shelf about a killer alligator or something in the ilk, and it'll be fucking dreadful. There'll be, like, one scene with an alligator, and the whole movie will just be boring bullshit. And this movie, this is all alligator. This thing... It is exactly what you want from from a mm-hmm. a movie about a giant killer alligator. I can't imagine what else I'd really want from the thing. It it delivers. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, I mean, come on. Just like the part where the the you know inept cops are trying to go through the sewers to drive out the alligator and they can't do it, and then the alligator just bursts through the fucking sidewalk in the middle of a bunch of kids playing baseball. Oh, yeah. So good. So good. Yeah. A lot of good force perspective stuff in this. It's it's a pretty. I mean, it's not an amazingly made film, but it's it's. Does I mean, it's, job. it's got it's Very got competent. a reasonable budget. I mean, I, I it's it's a knockoff, but this isn't like threadbare, you know. So, and, and I guess that's why I'm judging it just a little harsh. Like, I don't disagree with you. This it does deliver on alligator carnage, which is great, you know, at least that much. It's not like, it knows it can't lean into suspense so well. I mean, it's stupid. Where's the suspense? Like, Jaws had the shark was in the ocean. We like to be in the ocean. There's a suspense there. No one wants to hang out in a fucking sewer, so, like, it can't really work that well. So, they they just bring the the alligator right out. Like, the alligator, like, smashes out through the road. Um, It's just something, I guess, and then kills a cop who's is his car not start. I can't remember. There's a lot of things. The, the alligator really zeroes in on cars. He is not a fan of those, and he kills oh. anyone who's in one. No, that that scene kicks so much ass. So this is right around the time when they're trying to drive the alligator out, and the alligator bursts through the sidewalk, which in like slow mo, and it totally kicks fucking ass, and all the kids scatter, and then. Because they're scattering, they're like running down the street and a cop has to swerve. And this is where the budget comes in because it just makes everything better. 
normal movie, the cops would have swerved and maybe crashed or something. But here we get a full-on explosion, cop car explosion. There's a couple of car explosions in yeah, this movie. That cop speeding, for and, sure. Oh, for sure. And then so his, his car crashes, there's explosions, and then the cop is trying to, to crawl out, and he crawls out the window of his cop car, just gets fucking gator chomped. Beautiful. A weird, oh, and another great element to this, uh, I think kind of an underused element, this film has Henry Silva as, like, the wildlife hunter expert, um, and he pretty much just shows oh, up. The, the horny hunter. Yeah, he just shows up and he just gets eaten, pretty much. Like, he doesn't, he's not great at what he's doing. <laughs> no. He, he totally kicks ass, because he's got... Basically two scenes. Uh, one scene is he shows up and is just like, you know, waving his dick around because he's the big bad hunter. And then the news interviews him and it's this like woman newscaster. And he's like, hey, you know, the best way to get an alligator is to make an alligator mating call. And they sound like this. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, really? Is that what they do? And he's like, yeah. If you come over to my place later, I'll show you a few other mating calls. And again, you and that's yeah, again awesome. you might think Steve is uh, using hyperbole for comedic effect, but that's pretty much what Henry Silva does in this accurate. film. Pretty much a scene in the movie. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's a scene. And then and then his next scene is because he's a big game hunter. He decides that the alligator must be in an alleyway somewhere, and his solution is to find three black people and pay them $20 to carry his gun so that he can go down an alleyway and then immediately get eaten by an alligator. So Beautiful. Well, one thing that maybe made my disappointment stems from this because I lived through the whole Chance the Snapper crocodile incident of Chicago, what, two years ago maybe, um, where, where there was a, a there was an alligator crocodile loose in, in Chicago and he was just kind of hanging out in a lake in Humboldt Park or whatever. He was much smaller than this. But um, they called in a wildlife expert to trap him, and it worked eventually. And there was, you know, sightings of the the crocodile, etc. And this was just a lot more. A lot more went on here. Frankly, this is a much better story, I guess, than the Chicago one. So I appreciate that much at least. But um, yeah, it's, it's just uh, I don't know. I'm just like as I think about it, this movie's goofy as hell but also I do feel like even with Robert Forster like the second the alligator disappears the movie just goes dead like it just flatlines well that's why it rarely disappears <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah, yeah so you can enough. say it's it's goofy but it I think the fact that like Forster is just so committed and everybody plays it straight I think it that kind of magic really works for me. I don't know. It's it's as far as like Jaws knockoffs go, this one is probably one of the best. I mean, it's true, but Jaws knockoffs yeah. is not a rich vein. <laughs> I had no. a lot of fears about where it was headed, and thankfully, it didn't go that way. Because early on, they they're setting it up like Forster's gonna like get blamed for this guy's disappearance, and I'm like, is the movie gonna just dwell on this the whole fucking time? Like. He's uh, trying to get his credibility back in the police force, and it's like, nah, fuck that. Here comes an alligator. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants. Like, there's, again, he's wearing like a, a sweatsuit the entire time, <laughs> and he just he just drives around with reckless abandon like a fucking madman. At one point, and this is like a minor minor plot point, a crazy person comes in the police station with like a fake bomb strapped to him, and Robert Forrester's <laughs> like, I don't fucking care if you blow these fuckers up. I hate I hate everyone here. I hope they all fucking die. And then they just disarm the bomb. 
it's it's really it's it's great stuff. I, and I'm trying to figure out if, if that wrong, fake bomb was what they did use to blow up the check off. That's bomb? what I was gonna say. Yeah, same <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, this is a shit ton of dynamite they were just employing for for that. <laughs> Uh, it's a weird and I, I, yeah. do, I do like I feel like this is definitely if I'd seen this as a like as a adolescent which I like I really do feel like the movie's kind of entertaining but like ideally you should be you know 10 years old the movie would absolutely kill them oh, yeah. and I feel like if you are 10 years old this is also the film where you will learn what a herpetologist is or at least that a herpetologist mm-hmm. exists because they keep saying it over and over again and it's the whole reason there's like the the, the sexy lady character who has very little to do. She's a herpetologist, so that's why she's there, although I don't yeah. think she's... Which I'm glad they cleared that up, uh, yeah. Jack, because I was thinking that was who you went and saw a few years ago to get your shit cleaned up, but uh, I was totally wrong on that. That's different, different doctor. Absolutely. No, um, if you if you have confusion about that, they will clear right up. Um, yeah. yeah. Unless unless you got a lizard growing out of your Yeah, if it's gone scaley, then yeah, I guess there's some overlap. Yeah, yeah. So I guess uh, there's like another too cute screenplay thing is that the alligator is presumed i guess it's never directly stated to be the alligator that the female lead the herpetologist had brought back from some alligator farm as a child and i don't think the timeline works the for that no i was wondering about that too yeah i, it, I, I don't, it, doesn't, it. I doesn't really well, I mean, seem necessary for it to be i think it's just introduced oh, the, it's introduced the concept oh. of people flushing alligators down toilets. Oh, I, to- I totally think it's supposed to be the same <laughs> one. So she carries that game. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was the same too. one. She doesn't... Why would it I not I thought be? it was supposed well, to be the I same mean, one make, because this screenplay likes to be would, really It cute. would make sense that it is, but dramatically, uh, I mean, it doesn't, like, considering she has so little to do in the film anyway, it doesn't really, uh, I don't know, it doesn't track as anything particularly useful. I guess it's one of those cases where it doesn't really matter. It's an ambiguity, but purely because they just they're lazy they didn't bother writing anything well i think hey, it i mean i don't mind that she comes back as a character that happened to have the same line of work that would help in this situation but i think also you could really nitpick as to say how did this alligator get there and i think it's pretty clear that it is the one flushed in the beginning and as mm. we see at the, the very last shot of the film is that the cycle continues well yes yeah people keep flushing gators alligator 2 the mutation Wait, which <laughs> alligator 1 was also the mutation because this thing's been eating I love that it's just like the plot line is that they're doing growth like illegal growth hormone tests on dogs they're just kidnapping dogs and killing them for no reason like like they couldn't yeah, no, access I, dogs for experimentations because i mean their lab you just do that anyway <laughs> but for some reason they're doing it illegally and then dumping the bodies in the sewer and this alligator eats them and then the alligator becomes bulletproof which is something that confused me a lot as well i mean it's a big ass alligator but henry silva's got a big ass gun and i don't know why that didn't work out and like this alligator gets shot a lot in this film seemingly to <laughs> no effect whatsoever <laughs> I only have one lingering question with this movie. Uh, okay, so there is an evil scientist at the evil science company, and he's the one doing the, the dog experiments and then dumping the dogs in the sewer, which then leads to alligator growth. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, there's this subplot where the owner of the evil company is kind of like this minor character, and so evil evil scientist is marrying the owner of the evil company's daughter. And that's where the wedding scene comes from. But the owner of the evil company is super, super 
weird around the evil scientist. And I don't know if this was just him trying to make like an evil nefarious character, if there's something else going on, but there's a scene after the cops come and visit the science lab where he, the, the company owner is talking to the scientist. He goes, well, don't you worry about the cops because you're my special boy. And you're just going <laughs> to keep on being my most special boy. He's daddy's little boy. Yeah, daddy loves you. Oh. And then th- they go to the, the, the wedding scene and it's, it's more of the same. She's like, oh, I love him so I can't wait for him to be part of our family. He's so special. He's just the most special little thing. And then he's like grilling steaks and he's just like, yeah, you got to get that tender meat right on there. You want- is he fucking the scientist? Is that what, what is going on between these two? Is he fucking his daughter's fiance? I don't. That's a trenchant inside criticism so of society that you know this company is fucking over society with their drugs and their dumping of of drug addled meat and they're fucking each other. It's incestuous. There you go. That'll do. That's mm-hmm. at least as carefully written as several other key elements. <laughs> okay, I just want to make welcome. sure. I just got this weird, like, sexual yeah. tension between those two that I could not parse out. I was into it. Don't get me wrong. I want those two fucking. But I, I want some straight up, like, the ending of the movie Society shit. Like, I want the the old guy's head to, like, pop out of his own ass and, like, suck the scientist's dick or something. Man, that but and a giant alligator that far. would be a hell of a movie. Maybe that yeah, happens. Maybe go. that yeah, happens just, in just part push two. Just a little further. Now, you never know. I haven't seen it. So we, we can only assume. But going from extreme animal carnage to the other extreme, which is, hey, what if nothing fucking happened? (laughs) We also watched the Australian exploitation classic Lost Weekend from the screenwriter of Razorback, which is about a giant ass pig that fucks people up. And this is supposedly about uh, kind of a yuppie couple that goes camping and they're dicks, so nature fucking demolishes them. So... I was expecting the birds, but like with wallabies and shit, kind of mixed with Razorback. I didn't get that. What the fuck did I get? What what is? It's what really is this? disappointing. This is definitely this is the movie that kind of like best embodies what was supposed to be the theme of this podcast. Although you may have noticed at this point that Monster Dog definitely doesn't embody the theme. An alligator kind of only does a bit. This one really is on the you know human humanity is the virus. Nature will will cleanse the earth. That's really this movie, but it sucks. It's a really, it's just an unwavering, unchanging single idea unfolding for ninety minutes with no modulation <laughs> or elaboration, no twist, nothing. Just you could from three minutes in, you're like, I think we know where we're going, and. 83 minutes in it's just like please god let it end it's starring the yeah. two most irritating people ever oh my god nature should have killed them quicker that would have been something yeah. uh, that would have been ideal but again like the idea behind this is there's this couple and they're fighting a bunch and they're both insufferable pricks who are terrible to each other and they're trying to save their marriage by going on a camping trip that one of them doesn't want to go on because the husband's an asshole and they that. just had an abortion and then yeah, and right. oh god. Which and that Which isn't we don't revealed learn yet. until a little bit later. Yeah. But the idea here is I guess we're not supposed to know if there's something supernatural going on or if these people are just idiot dickheads. Because 
you know, they, they keep having these encounters with animals and there's a part where they get lost, but it seems like they shouldn't have been lost. But at the same time, they're like city people. So it seems likely that they just, you know, made a couple of wrong turns. And it just keeps kind of dragging itself forward. But there's no grand reveal. The only thing we get is the, the cause for all their marital strife is they both cheated on each other. But the husband, the wife thinks that the husband forced her to cheat. Which I don't understand that, but sure. Uh, like literally like encouraged it. And then she got pregnant when she cheated on him with their neighbor. And he said that the baby wasn't his. And she implies that he forced her to get an abortion and is mad at her. But I don't, I don't understand. So like he wanted her, he, she thinks that he wanted her to get an abortion, but then he's like, no, I fucking love kids. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, there's this. So it's, it's bizarre because it's like the animals aren't really attacking them. They're just shitty people camping. <laughs> like this just seems like if I went camping in Australia, most of this would happen to me, except for like the weird, like, you know, marital strife. Uh, but like all the, like, oh, look, you tried to pet a fucking wombat and it bit your hand of course it did oh you're you're fucking just palming a a a goddamn eagle egg like it's a a golf ball and you think that the eagle's not going to swoop down and peck your ass off like this is these are things that happen but then it, it throws in this weird like oh well and then you smash the eagle egg and that was like a nature abortion you bad aborter people or what like, the fuck is this movie trying to say level it, it, it says this insane conservative it's message it's the level it whole like it really it's got this kind of a uh, kind of annoying grating conservatism to it i feel like cuz the abortion i think is the central point it's like an abortion is bad and it's wrong and it tears apart a human relationship and it has to and then that, you know, concerns that these people have no, they don't care for the sanctity of themselves. So, of course, they don't care for the sanctity of nature. And then so they're and like you said, they're just they're recklessly shitty people. Like they go out of their way to do dumb crap. And like, I don't it's just so tiring to watch this film. Um, and, uh, you know, we can't sympathize with them. They're wholly unsympathetic people. They're just annoying yeah. and brash, and they just snipe at each other. And it's going like, just get a fucking divorce. Just do that. I don't care. Like maybe I'm the <laughs> bad person because I don't like I don't give a shit what happens. I just want I just want off this. Like this is the worst theme park ride ever. Um, I, nah, yeah. yeah, it's it's basically it, like Australian tradcath Blair Witch. <laughs> like how much do you enjoy people in the woods yelling at each other? Like if your Kramer answer is Kramer versus it. nature. Uh, and, you're just, and, and like, yeah, it's kind of like, is there a supernatural element to it? And, you know, and it's like, like the birds. And it's clearly like, this is like, we watched the birds and we had an idea. Um, and like the birds, there's no explanation for it. There's no, you know, cause per, you know, for it. Um, but, but unlike the birds, there's also no kind of layer or complexity or fun to it it's like they just they become i mean they have the abortion did they hear a baby crying at night what sounds like a baby and it turns out it's like a baby dugong whatever manatee and they just shoot it and it keeps showing up the body i was i was kind of passed out at this point i was like just i just don't yeah. care what's happening um they like they see yeah. a shape in the water and they just decide the best thing the best course of option is just open fire on it 
which is kind of like just this guy just loves shooting his gun. Yeah, just, he just shoots it into the air constantly. Yeah, just get out of the water. Yeah, I mean, just stop it. And it's not, yeah, it's not like they're shitty because they both cheated on each other, but like they're also. It just this movie is just so mind numbing and how like like all the repetition, like when they're driving off to the vacation, he throws his cigarette out the window and he just casually starts a brush fire. Then they run over a kangaroo and there's no concern with that. And then she's just loading up their campsite with insecticide. And yeah, there's this this sea cow like this, I, I guess this supernatural sea cow that is unkillable keeps showing up and is basically torturing them. But yeah, these people like i'm i was trying to think of like a scenario where this film works because it doesn't work with them being two assholes who receive their comeuppance from nature because it's it, what's the point but then if you flip it and they're two sympathetic people then it just becomes something cruel and i don't think i want to see that either so i don't I, this just kind of is just a, such a weird failure yeah to me. i mean the only thing this movie yeah. is missing is like a crying native american like that's what's needed on this yeah. just to God. just pinpoint that like stick that on after he throws the cigarette out the window and just roll the end credits let us out they should have yeah. just cut to that commercial from the 80s with uh, like the native american chieftain but exactly when people like that's throw a fucking yeah. candy wrapper on the ground uh yeah i i don't know i feel like this movie must have been the inspiration for like all the fucking a24 movies we bitch about us <laughs> it's like it's like uh everything is just it's just nothing but empty symbolism it's just like okay you, you could bother to write a plot around this or characters i could possibly give a shit about what are you supposed to care about these people? Because they own a dog. That's about the only thing I care about. I'm like, well, I hope <laughs> the dog doesn't get killed. Yeah, that didn't stink. Because these assholes <laughs> gonna get punished hey, by nature. Buddy, Whatever. Great. You've, you've heard of midsummer. Please. Have you heard of early summer? Because this is. I mean, yeah, we, we were talking about this earlier, like off the podcast. But it's it's basically proto midsummer. Yeah, I Midsummer mean, yeah. had all the same problems where it's like from minute one, you're like, boy, I hope these characters all get fucking killed within five minutes. It's like, no, you got to yeah. spend two and a half hours with them and they're not going to yeah. get any better or show any depth or have yeah. anything. And also like Midsummer, there's there's a lot of like if you were to isolate different elements of this movie, it's like, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that. But there's there's no connective tissue between any of these ideas. So. It just does not work as a movie. And again, I cannot stress enough that like whatever supernatural element they're trying to play up, it doesn't work because everything that happens to them is just because they're fucking idiots. And nothing that happens to them is is like overly brutal. It's just stupid. I mean, e even the thing like the most supernatural thing that happens is the, the sea cow keeps showing up. But also every time they show the sea cow, the dog's around. So it's like, oh, the dog is just dragging the fucking corpse around because it's a big ass dumb dog. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I feel like one of the major like follies of art house horror when it, it's not successful is it, it tries to pull the same trick that slashers do, you know, cheap, shitty slashers. They kind of make their characters assholes so that you can munch your popcorn and get some glee out of the the killer going around stabbing him to death. And the problem is this is not an entertaining movie. There's no fucking joy in watching any of this shit happen to anyone. It's just, you're just spending what felt like an eternity with these two fucking assholes. And it's just like, end God damn it. Yeah. And not only is it not a joy, but it doesn't evoke any emotion. It's just completely flat. The entire yeah, it's like time being stuck in an yeah, elevator. It doesn't make me feel anything. Yeah. It's like just being stuck in a shitty theme park ride with two bickering, annoying people. 
And it's funny you mentioned that the, the guy who wrote this wrote Razorback, because frankly, uh, we should have watched Razorback for this. That's what yeah. I was thinking. We should have watched Razorback. Razorback's great. Much better movie. <laughs> that that would have brought me more joy. But there's got to be at least one dud, you know? That's But I, I didn't... I honestly had the highest of expectations for this movie. I thought it was going to be the best thing that we watched because I've heard nothing but good things. It's it's critically acclaimed. It's uh, It seems interesting. Face value, but what do you know? It's shit. So, uh, yeah. Shout out to Ari Aster for watching this one too much. Thank you. We'll continue to have your movies in our live, yeah. uh, lives. <laughs> Weird that. Well, this I mean, this is like... Is the, like- the this most is probably the only movie you watch that's like critically celebrated, isn't it? Like it's it's this movie's like a cult classic of yeah. the highest order. It was like very, very. I've highly never heard anyone diss this. Like I mean, obviously this is not. It's a cult film, so it's not like everyone's like talking about this. But yeah, I've, this is one I I've been meaning to watch for a long time, and this podcast came along and it naturally slotted in. It's like great, let's watch this exploitation classic and it's the worst exploitation film i've ever seen uh, if this was if this yeah, was my introduction well, to that i would never watch another one of them i'm sorry weird, it's critically like, acclaimed oh. but there is one critic who didn't enjoy it and that's uh allison the vegan alert film critic from letterbox <laughs> and twitter she uh, she only gave it one star guys so yeah, go, go ahead, Jake. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just had to get. Well, no, had yeah, to get I was that just going to add there. on how, like, this film has really just sort of been celebrated for being good. Like, it premiered at Cannes. At a, I don't think it was in competition, but at a screening in like this South African uh, film um, the, uh, distributor, like, picked, snatched up the rights so that he could show it in the country, and uh, it had. A, I think it was a Severin Blu-ray release from a few years ago that restored it, and. Uh, there was even a remake with Jim Caviezel in 2008, so it's like relatively well established as a as a good exploitation thriller. But it's 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 just so dire to watch. Yeah, I mean, like it is no like, fun like for at all. all. The talk of like you know this being a, a high level, high brow kind of interesting film. Like seriously, Dead End Drive In is a better film than this because it's fun and frankly the social critique that comes in that film which is literally about a bunch of youngsters being basically kept in like a penal colony that is a cinema uh, it's better than this like that's just a dumbass like Mad Max ripoff and it's so much it's honestly cleverer and more interesting and certainly more entertaining than this I don't understand yeah. how this film got that reputation and it's, I think I watched this before anyone else uh for this podcast i was like man this sucks i was like is is it just me like am i just having an is it just maybe watching at the wrong time but uh no i get i guess not the, the reports came in and no one had fun with this no i i made a decision no. about halfway through to hit pause and go clean my cat's litter box just because i need something <laughs> else to, to do nature. so that gives you an idea of the level of, of enjoyment and look yeah. and look at something nice for a while yeah i would i would literally rather shovel fucking turds out of a box than watch this movie so yeah uh yeah well the good thing is i think we're gonna end on a high note here because uh <laughs> the last movie that we chose to watch for this this beautiful slate of films was uh this is the wild card of the bunch I, I did not know what to think going into this one but it was available for streaming on the criterion channel so i thought yeah fuck it we got access to it let's do it uh, it is a movie about what happens when there's like a solar eclipse or something and then ants start acting weird. <laughs> and it is phase four, which I guess is 
I mean, it's like hard sci-fi a la 2001 or Solaris filtered through weird 50s monster movie like them. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's fucking awesome, but this is not what I expected at all. And I'm, I'm honestly kind of, my only disappointment leaving this film is why didn't Saul Bass make more movies? Because this was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so phase four, gentlemen. What'd you think? Phase four of our podcast, actually, too, just to throw that in there. Um, yeah, I loved it. I highly recommend it. And Saul Bass, who famous for producing opening titles of films, uh, really has an eye for making a visually interesting movie. And yeah, like you said, I don't know why he didn't make more after this. This is very heady and complex and stunning. I was kind of low-key blown away by this movie. And I, w- I was just expecting it like an, I don't know, like alligator, but with ants. And it's so much more than that. Yeah, I was expecting something more on the level of like a slightly more artsy version of slugs or squirm. Yeah. But that, sure. that's not what we get here. It's, it's these two scientists and they're in the middle of the desert, in the middle of fucking nowhere somewhere in America. And basically it's just them. There's one rancher family that's still around and these ants have been behaving strangely and attacking yeah. animals. And uh, there's another ranch house that was destroyed by the ants. So these scientists come to try and figure out what the fuck these ants are doing. And they quickly find out that this is kind of beyond the scope of just bugs behaving badly. And it's it's something far bigger and far more nefarious. And it's also deeply, deeply cynical, but in a very compelling way, because one of the scientists is totally obsessed with trying to communicate with the ants, trying to learn their patterns and how they're you know, organizing themselves and moving around and communicating with each other so that he can talk to them and perhaps say, hey, could you guys stop being dicks all the time? And the other scientist seems completely obsessed with just blowing them the fuck up. Uh, early on in the movie, he's trying to get them to do something because he feels like they're, they're not engaging in enough ant activity. So he takes a grenade launcher and just fucking blasts their little ant houses with it. So you have the hyper-violent guy and the guy who just wants to talk it out and I mean, I spoiled it a little bit here, but the the end result is none of that fucking matters. This is a, a giant cosmic terror that is so much bigger than anything that these scientists can conceive of. So you can't talk to them. You can't fight them. You're just fucked. And they're two steps ahead of you the entire time. And they're the ones that are playing you and studying yeah, you. This, and it's, uh, it's pretty fucking this, horrifying. This is great. Like, this is the global like the climate change movie frankly just for the reasons you outlined this is about uh and i mean it's funny it's cynical uh this movie but like frankly it starts off with the scientist writing a letter to the government about ants acting weird and asking for money to study them and he gets the money which already puts this movie in a better place than reality so weren't they probably they probably <laughs> were like screw you scientist that's boring um but yeah it's it's a really kind of interesting film about you talk about i mean climate change certainly you could you could overlay that template over it about just the earth kind of growing hostile to humanity but there's also i think like an interesting kind of a a template of warfare human warfare and imperialism this idea of the ants as an intractable enemy that we kind of both underestimate and 
don't communicate with and kind of there's an alien to the alienness to them and i was kind of like the the whole idea of the the ants as like a hive mind kind of put me in mind of uh famously in the vietnam war documentary hearts and minds there's where america's general westmoreland talks about how the asian people don't put the same price on life and death that westerners do you know it's actually just you know disgusting thing to say but it kind of sums up exactly how the western world views just bombing asians uh, into oblivion as was done in in vietnam it's a similar idea there's just complete uh kind of lack of interest in even understanding who we're fighting with um which i think the film really brings out uh, one thing i was struck in watching this film again because i i'd seen it a couple of years ago and kind of just it's it's such a, a strange film that i kind of forgotten some elements of it but um earlier this week i was watching some films by the key brothers or the quay brothers sorry that's a weird pronunciation uh but the quay brothers do kind of stop motion animation really beautiful stuff but kind of um it's a very strange stop motion that's kind of like centered in kind of dereliction and dilapidation and dust. All their their public like would not be mistaken for Pixar, even if they worked in exactly the same animation medium. They're, they're <laughs> very different aesthetic key to it. Um, but this film opens with this wonderful kind of like the, the footage of the ants. There obviously must have been an entire ant photographic unit, clearly. But um, he plays around a little bit with the speeds when filming them, as is probably necessary since ants probably don't respond very well to uh, direction on set. Uh, so, like, there's some, you know, kind of in speeding up and slowing down of uh, of the, the footage, and I'm guessing probably a certain amount of high-speed footage was used just to capture detail. But it gives this strange tactile animated feel to the, the ants building their societies and moving around and, and kind of... It's in the opening scenes of the film primarily, which is the ants organizing, starting to starting to change their behaviors. And it's just such an eerie element. It's really stuck out to me this time. And I think it's, a, you know, really pushes this film beyond as, you know, you might be expecting kind of like a, a stupid insect creature feature. It's not where this film's head is at at all. It, it's got a much bigger perspective and a really unusual film um so yeah I, yeah this is i mean I, I pretty much melted my brain at this point <laughs> with horror movies so there's not a lot that can upset me or, or make my skin crawl but i had like a a very like visceral like just disgusted re reaction to this because the the photography of the ants it's so good it, it looks better than any nature documentary you've ever seen and it's genuinely upsetting and disturbing to watch this stuff. And just the, the sound design is great, too. Just the noises that they make. And the, the things that he's able to shoot here and the way he's able to weave it in the narrative, I don't even understand how you do this. There's a whole scene where um, the scientists tried to, to poison the ants, essentially. And so the ants take a piece of the poison and they carry it for as far as they can until they die, and then another ant comes along and picks up the piece of the poison and carries it until eventually they get to the queen. The queen sort of like takes it in and then is able to like help them adapt so that they're no longer affected by the poison. And it's this totally crazy sequence. And just all the, the skin crawly stuff. When I was watching this, a spider actually like came down from my ceiling and I just about fucking leapt off my couch like 20 Oh man, the 4D air. phase four experience. Really upsetting. <laughs> 
But yeah, no, it, yeah, it really yeah. It, and phase four. Yeah, it, it really it really latches onto, and I think one of these reasons it's really successful is it really latches onto the fact that ants are a really alien intelligence to us, and we're kind of all kind of adapted and kind of it's kind of mundane. But like whenever I think about ants and I think about the things I know about how they organize, it's kind of creepy and weird and crazy because they are so, you know, hierarchically, socially adjusted for things I accidentally step on sometimes, you know, it's it's like <laughs> such a strange yeah. thing. And, it, you know, I think it's just really it's such a clever um kind of choice of of kind of threat um yeah i like this is just such a uh and it definitely this is absolutely you know kind of uh you could sort of put this on like a stoner movie or whatever like it's just got this strange vibe to it like hallucinogenic a little bit it kind of it almost reminded me like of a yodorowsky film although frankly it's i think it's better than anything yodorowsky's ever made probably uh you know but kind of that same kind of like kind of strange trippy kind of interaction of elements of the grizzly with the mundane um yeah like this is just this this film holds up exceptionally well and Sawbass kind of this is his only credit i believe as a director yeah yeah well and and the acting is is interesting too because you mentioned that people have this almost these detached performances you know and it's it's weird almost otherworldly watching these people on screen and I guess Saul Bass, part of the reason why he didn't make another feature-length film is because, uh, wouldn't you know, he's not exactly an actor's director. Uh, so I guess he had these people just, you know, it's kind of like the uh, the Brissonian thing where you, you have the actors repeat the same scene a million times until they get to the point where they're just devoid of emotion. <laughs> and it drove the actors completely nuts, but it, it works really well here, especially with the... Uh, the woman who's who's in the movie because she just seems so detached from everything that's going on around her, and she's supposed to represent, I guess, just the innocent bystander in all of this, but also just like the the warmonger and the guy who's trying to be diplomatic and negotiate and speak to the ants. She's just as fucked as everybody else, so that's great. And she's in shock. Yeah. I, I guess I guess it works on that level. But yeah, it is it is funny that he would have a movie. Uh, and insist on lots and lots and lots of takes in a movie that involves animal actors extensively. Um, usually you just want to get that one wrapped up as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you guys, I, see, we should probably wanna, talk about the ending a little I'm, too. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to say a ton about this movie. I, I just mostly say, you know, watch it because, it, you know, explaining it is kind of uh, fruitless to, to an extent. I, I just think it's like a really interesting sort of Cold War text like I think it re- reflects a lot of the Western fears, where you've got kind of the this dual nature of approaches towards this collective, you know, and and you've got so you've got your animalistic, militaristic approach and your intellectual approach, and and they both seem incredibly futile in the face of this uh, grand collective, which is obviously pretty easily pretty easy to slot in. Soviet Union in in that respect, I think it's a, an interesting Cold War text for me. But I I think it works on a lot of levels, and it's a beautiful film. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely discussion. I mean, in terms of the the Soviets, there's definitely discussion about their how the society is wonderfully adapted, and everyone has their role, which you could certainly paint in as this, you know 
at least a Western understanding of communism, not exactly how it has ever been implemented. <laughs> very optimistic right. viewing of that. But yeah, I think I think it works very well in I think I think even if it was conceived originally as a wartime text, and I think there's certainly an element of that um it works even better, as Steve says, like the, this cosmic kind of a, a threat. It's it's something bigger. The humans universally are are superseded within the film, and it's very it's done in such an interesting kind of a way. And it's a very trippy film. I know I mentioned it before, but like it's strange in that it's not like the ants crawl on everyone and they die. You know, they're not eaten alive by ants. The ants build things. They build reflectors. They they. You know, they have these weird strategies where they like they they smoke. They basically smoke the humans out, almost like humans would hunt insects. You know, in their structures. Um. So it's it's just. Oh yeah, don't they mm-hmm. drop like a grasshopper into the cooling system to short circuit yeah, it? Yeah, praying mantis. Like, how do ants know to behave like that? Yeah. Yeah, they they've got it all worked out, and 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 of course also there's no real explanation for why the ants gain this intelligence, but there's also no clear explanation of the extent of their intelligence either. It seem you know they seem to understand a lot, but there's no clear kind of uh you know there's no limits placed on it that they know x or y or they've got it from this knowledge it's just sort of a a a slowly dawning realization that we are completely ill-equipped to deal with what's happening but of course throughout the whole thing the humans think they're running the show which makes it a really great man versus nature text it kind of really checks the boxes really really well here kind of man's hubris Mm -hmm. uh, and being effectively uh, uh kind of tamed or wiped out <laughs> uh based on based on yeah. what happens one one thing i will say is you should definitely watch this movie obviously it's it's really really great and also even if you're not a person who likes horror or sci-fi or anything like that it, it doesn't really matter like it's it's it, this can work for basically anyone it's it's an amazing movie but make sure that you watch the version with the correct ending and by the correct ending i mean saul bass's original ending because this movie has an extended end sequence that really drives home a lot of the themes of the movie and and shows just how cynical of a movie this is but if you watch the olive films version that came out a few years ago on blu-ray which is i mean the version they restored is the version that has predominantly been released on home video and and played in theaters it has a a cut version of the ending which is what i watched originally and in that they pretty much just say oh the ants wanted us all along and then it just sort of ends suddenly after a very brief hallucinatory uh yodorowsky-esque ending but if you watch the actual ending it's not like a minute long it's about five minutes long and it's it's more hallucinatory images, and clearly they still want the humans, but it goes in this whole thing where it's just kind of quick cutting between all these images that are blurring together, but it looks like the ants are essentially enslaving humans and, and making human-ant hybrids, all this crazy shit. But it all ties back into the themes of the movie. So there's a UK Blu-ray that actually has the original ending restored, and it's included. 
make sure you watch that. Don't watch the American Blu-ray version, or you're not going to see this. Yeah, anything. I think for I think for and most casual viewers, yeah. you're probably going to have to watch the regular version. I don't know if there's a restore. I don't even the UK Blue has restore has placed the ending on mm. the film. I could be wrong about that. It's on YouTube though. It's yeah, on yeah, YouTube. But I think, I think you're, you're gonna have watch to watch the ending. Movie, yeah, you're gonna have to watch yeah. the movie yeah, watch as the it exists, and then go on YouTube or the with the Blu-ray, go in your extras, and then watch the watch the restored ending separately. And well, even uh, the the UK Blue features the alternate ending as like a special feature with additional commentary. Should you should you want to yeah. listen? Well, I mean, the good news is, guys, uh, HBO Max is launching with the bass cut. <laughs> um, oh man if only see that 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 end sequence it, it just illustrates you know people might not realize who Saul Bass is but he's he's certainly one of the most important artists of the 20th century and perhaps the most prolific and interesting commercial artist ever and um, yeah yeah I, I mean I, I suppose the reason why he didn't continue on making films is that this wasn't particularly well received or successful at the time which is a shame and obviously it was it was meddled with and it, it, it didn't end up being his vision which is unfortunate because it, again for the amount he's done for the film industry you think that they would have just kind of let him have it's, carte also, it's also yeah, it's movie. also very strange that uh, as i recall Sobas had nothing whatsoever to do with the poster campaign for this film which you think would be a no-brainer <laughs> to get him in on that so maybe that's why people didn't go i don't know if he did that on purpose himself yeah. but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Phase I mean, four is pretty for cool. It's, it's not a... bad. <laughs> not bad for the guy who made the Lowry seasoning salt logo, I guess. <laughs> for someone who's such a uh, renowned uh, graphic communicator, it it makes perfect sense why this might transcend its wartime roots and, and be sort of a timeless text. Mm -hmm. Like it, it is mm -hmm. a profound piece of communication. Definitely, yeah. yeah. It's Go really it. fucking good. Yeah, go see this one. If you're gonna watch one of these movies, um, probably watch this one. Unless you're really drunk, then just watch Monster Dog so you can see that fucking piss pig. Yeah, I was gonna recommend Monster that's, Dog that's with a lot of caveats, but this one I don't actually have to provide caveats. Just this one's actually good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, if you enjoyed the podcast today, uh, rest assured the soundboard will be back. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're gonna get it fixed. So a little technical snafu. Wouldn't be a podcast without those. But hey, you can do us a big favor. You can click the link in the description of this very podcast that you are listening to, and you can give us a five-star written review on iTunes. If you haven't done it yet, it would mean the world to us because it helps our visibility, and the more visible we are, the more people can find us on iTunes, and then uh, the more shit we can do for you. So it, it literally takes like 10 seconds of your time. Just fucking do it if you haven't done it yet. Come on. I, I've been telling you this for how long? Why haven't you done it yet? Take two seconds. Come on. Come on. Uh, also, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, please send those to optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or uh, you can tweet at us, at optimismvaccine. And uh, I think we're going to roll out here with the, the Alice Cooper song from Monster Dog, the, the, the one that we are treated to in the beginning of the film. But before we do that, Jake, last word is yours. Hit that music, Johnny. Johnny.